praise God. I did a, a couple part series. I said I didn't know if it would be two or three or more on joy. Uh, I had another one ready, uh, and I did two of them on, on joy. And last time we talked about joy and fellowship and time before that, joy that comes from knowing Jesus. Amen. How can you have true joy in this world? And it's imperative that we know Jesus because in John 15, he likens us believers, those of us who are trusting Jesus as being connected to the vine. Jesus is the vine, the Father's the gardener. He says, and you're the branches. And being connected to him, we share his life. And it's in that passage that Jesus said that uh, he shares his joy with us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control against which there is no law. So it's important, it's vital that we have a relationship with Jesus to experience the joy of the Lord. And the joy is a byproduct of our relationship with Christ. The main thing you should be after is a relationship with Jesus, amen? Because he is the creator of all things, amen? He's the maker of heaven, the heavens and the earth, amen? And following Jesus, if it made me joyful or depressed, I would still do it because it's the right thing, amen? But it just so happens when you're in right relationship with God, who has the greatest joy of all, Enter into the joy of the Lord in the end, amen? Uh, you experience his joy. So I want to let this new year, we're talk, we've been talking about that a little bit, had a couple messages on it. And the message that, the next message I had on that, I thought, you know what, I'm going to wait on this one because we're going to go through the book of James, a very practical, cool book to go through, right, to challenge your walk with Jesus. This, this year, one of my, my uh, purposes as I've sought the Lord is to really challenge you to walk with Jesus and James I don't know of any other book. It would be hard in the New Testament to challenge you to walk with Jesus and what that looks like, amen, on a practical level. So I'm excited about that. But the first couple of verses have to do with rejoicing in your trials. And, it and so we're talking about rejoicing in your circumstances. And that was my next message on joy. So I'm going to wait for that one until we get to the book of James. Lord willing, uh, we'll have a couple little series too. One will be on the armor of God. I just found out a couple sisters had painted... Uh, you know, uh, Miranda, uh, who, else, who painted that with, with Miranda? Uh, big, oh, there, there, Yasmin, of course. She does everything, uh, <laughs> does a lot of things, okay, uh, for the kids up there. And they, they were painting the armor of God, you know. I just found out a, a couple weeks ago. I'm like, oh, that's so cool because that's one of the, uh, uh, that's the series I want to do. It's on the armor of God. And I just want to encourage you guys to go to the book of Revelation, chapter 22. We're on verse 15. We covered verse 14 in a Christmas message. And in verse 15, it talks about those who are outside this holy city. In fact, the name of this message is those outside the holy city. It identifies those who are outside the holy city. You want to make sure that you are in the holy city. That you are not outside the holy city when it all goes down. In fact, the only way to be in the holy city is verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Amen? And remember, Adam and Eve were banished from Eden and cherubim, cherubim with flaming swords were stationed around the tree of life and they were booted out of the garden. They returned to dust. But Jesus brings us back to the ultimate garden, Right? Because when you look at the city, it's actually a city slash forest. It's a city as far as communal living with other believers, those who know the Lord. But the very presence of God in a, in a river, the river of life coming out of his throne with the tree of life all over the place on both sides of the river bearing different types of fruit every month, which is going to be just amazing. 
Uh, so it's a forest city. I'm really happy about that because city affords you fellowship and community, but cities a lot of times people don't want to be in because they're deadly. But there's no crime in this city, you know? You don't have to worry about a drive-by. You don't have to worry about a home invasion. You don't have to be concerned about a carjacking at the gas station. You don't have to worry about just, you know, drugs and, and lying and theft and evil politicians and, and just the bizarrity that we see all around the world today because we read outside the city, bless, uh, verse 15, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Now I made a uh, affirmation that I affirm to you guys that as far as the vice list, because we meet up with the vice list, very similar to this earlier revelation on more than one occasion. And I mentioned in my last one when we hit this vice list in Revelation 21.8 that I'll spend more time on the vice list when we get to the end of the book of Revelation. Uh, so we're going to spend a little bit of time on this vice list and not look at everything at once. In fact, uh, next week, what I've chosen to, it's perfect timing, what I've chosen to talk about in the vice list fits next Sunday, which is a special day, a reminder of believers, our responsibility uh, before the Lord. So I thought, wow, this is very interesting timing. Uh, it works out perfect, uh, Lord willing. So we want to look at this, and you want to make sure you are not outside the city. Some have imagined being outside the city as being in some, you know, rural area. There's people outside the city still, and they're kind of hanging out. Some actually teach that in their commentaries and so forth, that, uh, that the believers, you know, have this special place with the Lord, but outside the city is actually, you know, not so bad, you know. In Mormonism, they teach that there'll be the celestial kingdom, and then there'll be the terrestrial kingdom, which is on earth, and there'll be a kingdom in between called the celestial kingdom, which they came up with. That's all made up out of you know, plain cloth, uh, and that everybody pretty much makes it except what they call the, the, the sons of perdition, Judas and a few others, Antichrist or whoever, you know. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus says, uh, enter the narrow gate, right? For wide is the gate and broad or spacious the way that leads to destruction, and many go that way. But narrow is the gate and straight is the way that leads to life, and few are those who find it, amen? One, one road leads to life, the other one to destruction, so we need to talk about for a moment, and we will, what it means to be outside the gates and how it's not just some rural area you can hang outside, outside of a city and still everything be cool. But before we do that, understand the only way you get into the city is if your robes are washed, amen? And I know we've already covered verse 14, but that's, it's through the blood of Christ, amen? The, if you have a King James translation, it says those who obey his commandments have the right to get in the city. That's not in the oldest manuscripts, okay? King James is a great translation in a lot of ways, but that's a, they, they used a very old manuscript far from the apostles uh, that was dated and didn't, was, didn't reflect the original reading, which is those who are, we don't get in because we're good, amen? And we keep God's, praise God, God changes our hearts as a byproduct of us putting our trust in Christ, faith without works is dead, but that's not how we get in the holy city. That's not how we get into heaven. That's not how we get right with God. We get right with God through what Jesus Christ did on the cross and paying for our sins, amen? amen. Now, this list, this vice list, comes up, as I mentioned again, over and over again, back up to Revelation chapter 21, verse eight. There's six things on the list in verse 15 of chapter 22. 
but the list is a little more extensive here in, uh, or in verse 8, a little bit different, but, but mostly similar. This one doesn't have dogs on it, but it has the cowardly. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So outside the city is where? It's the lake of fire. That's right. An easy deduction. So it's not in some rural or suburban area where you can just still live a wicked life and just be outside the city. No, it's in the lake of fire, guys. So it's critical that we understand that. Now, it's interesting. Uh, uh, some commentators, and I'm in agreement with them, state that these lists are not just to warn non-believers, but this is addressed to the church. And it's warning to believers regarding professing, to, uh, a warning to professing believers in the church to make sure they're not found on this list. G.K. Beale, a reformed, right, a reformed commentator on the book of Revelation, I don't agree with his eschatology totally because he's partial preterist to a degree, uh, but he's, uh, I believe he's right on this point, is that... Uh, that it's a warning to the professing believers in the church. In fact, most commentators will point out the word cowardly heads up the list. They might not say heads up the list, but they'll agree that this is a warning because it's an old word that had to do with those who recanted their faith under persecution. And I, I did spend a lot of time on that last time when we were in Revelation chapter 21.8, if you want to study that and that, the history of that Greek word and how that's the very first on the list, which is quite interesting. The cowardly and unbelieving. See, the cowardly, those who deny Christ and turn from him, are contrasted to a degree with the unbelieving. Those are just unbelievers in general. And abominable, those who do wicked things. And murderers, those who kill people, innocent people or uh, uh, unjust, uh, it's not self-defense. And immoral persons, porneo, sexually immoral. And sorcerers, pharmakeia, those who are involved in illicit drug use and idolaters, those who put anything before God, and all liars. And I, it's interesting he puts all liars there because I've met too many people that think you can be a Christian liar as long as they're not bad lies. You know, when I was a brand new pastor, a gal came up to me and she was just like so upset because I was warning the church that we need to stay away from sin. And she came up and it was my, I was a young pastor. I was new in the Lord. Not in the Lord. I was new in pastoring. And she was like, I lie all the time, like when the bill collectors call. I don't want my husband to get uh, angry, so I think it's justified. And she was visiting our church, and I said, I loved her. I, I said, hey, I'm sorry. You know, it's all liars, guys, not some, okay? We need to make sure the Bible says to speak the truth in love. And lying and loving, practicing and loving lying. It says loving and those who love and practice lying at the end of verse 15. This is serious stuff. So as Christians, speak the truth, man. Amen? Be humble before God and say, hey, and walk in the truth. Amen? And if you walk in the truth and you're sincere before Christ and you live a righteous life, guess what? You don't have anything to hide. You don't have anything to lie about. Amen? Just make sure you're right with God. Oh, God, I lied, man. Last week, Joe, I lied to my boss. I, I'm condemned. No. Not if you ask for forgiveness. Amen? You look to the cross. You say, Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me. Amen? He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you for all unrighteousness. And he emphasized, so everybody falls short to one degree or another, but guess what? Do you love and practice lying? That's in chapter 
22, verse 15, those who love and practice lying. And that's very serious. And you put that with all liars, it's very serious. And as Christians, we ought to be the most honest people on earth, right? So it's very important. And by the way, in chapter 14, verse 5 of Revelation, it speaks of God's people and how they, it says, they, are, they have no lies in their mouths. That's pretty powerful. Now, uh, it's interesting here because you have this vice list and we see so outside the city is not some rural area, amen? It's not some suburban where people can go party. They're just not in the holy city. It's the lake of fire. And by the way, this list does pertain to the wicked, definitely. And it's connected to the rest of the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation, the sins that are listed here of those who will not enter the holy city, those who have not been cleansed by the blood of Christ, those who go to the lake of fire are the unrepentant earth dwellers who hate the church, hate Christians, and go after them. In fact, they refuse to repent of those types of sins. Go to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. And this is under the sixth plague. And man, it's a devastating plague. You know, they get this huge army from the east and this, uh, these, it's just crazy, okay? I don't have time to get into it because I want to make sure I get to the other verses, but a third of mankind's killed by these plagues in verse 18. And you've got these scorpion-like creatures uh, with, you know, it's just crazy. And then look at verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues in this, well, we got more than just that plague, did not repent of the works of their hands so as to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which millions of people still do, by the way, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Verse 21, and they did not repent of what? Their murders, of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Man, here in California, you can steal up to 995 bucks without getting a you know, felony, you know, get a slap on the hand and not go to jail. It's a, and pharmacia drugs, I mean, the Biden administration actually gives out, you know, pipes to meth addicts and stuff. It's just, we live in crazy times, guys. And it's going to become more and more wicked. No, one, no wonder so many people are crazed on the streets, right? With, uh, you know, and you have so many things going on that are just horrific. So we see uh, really clearly that the book of Revelation is specifying these folks will not inherit God's kingdom. And by the way, one of the reasons God brings judgment, you know, why doesn't he just wipe everybody out at once? Because he's patient, right? Because he's, God is love. He doesn't will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Amen. And he even gave Jezebel, we read in Revelation chapter 2, he gave her space to repent. She was a false teacher, leading Christ's servants into sexual sin, it says, and into idolatry, which are on these vice lists. Amen. So you see, understand now, that God, Jesus said he, was, he, he gave her space to repent, but she did not repent. Therefore, I will cast her into, in, into a sick bed and those who commit fornication with her into a sick bed and kill her children with death and so forth. So it's a really strong, powerful warning, but it's warning that, guess what? These sins that exclude people from the kingdom, exclude them from the holy city, send them to the lake of fire, guess what? They've entered into the church. And the church is vulnerable to going back to those things they've been delivered from. So it's a warning to the world. But when you take the letters to the churches into account, it's also a warning to the churches. Now back to Revelation chapter 22, verse 15. Outside are the dogs, 
Now, I want to talk about outside. What is he speaking about when he says outside? Well, we know it's the lake of fire. But it's interesting because if you look at the Old Testament background, remember there's hundreds of allusions more than any book in the New Testament, there's allusions to the Old Testament. I mean, it's just a crazy search when you do intertextual study on the book of Revelation. Your, your mind is like, it just opens your understanding up to the book of Revelation. But outside the camp was the place of cursing. It's an expression that's used for those who are cursed. In fact, in the book of Numbers, we see a man who just arrogantly goes and begins to pick up sticks and work on the Sabbath, even though he knows it's unlawful. And he's kind of just flaunting, his, arrogantly flaunting himself against God. And he's stubbornly breaking the Sabbath. And it says in Numbers 15, 36, so all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He was under the law of Moses. Listen to Leviticus chapter uh, 24, verse 14 and verse 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring the one who has cursed, who has cursed outside the camp and uh, let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and then let all the congregation stone him. Then Moses spoke to the sons of Israel and they brought the one who had cursed outside the camp and stoned him with stones. Thus the sons of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Wow. Now also think of it this way, what was outside the camp? If you've been to Israel, which we hope to go uh, to, you know, before too long, uh, I don't want to give a specific date, but a lot of people, we've got so many people that watch online, they're like, let us know when it is and so forth, and people in the fellowship, so we'll try to dial, dial, down, dial in a date. But when you're there, you see the Kidron Valley that runs along the Temple Mount, and that was just outside the city gates and, and, and the city walls of ancient Israel. And it was called the Valley of Hinnom. It was also called Gehenna. And that was the garbage dump for the Israelis. It became their garbage dump. It was this huge, you know, this valley. And in this valley outside of the gates, you had just smoke going up constantly, worms that were eaten you know, rotting food and, and so forth, which was a great picture of Gehenna, of hell. And uh, that, without going too deep into it, we've talked about this before, but you go back to Jeremiah, and you find out that they were worshiping Baal, they were worshiping Malak, and they were sacrificing their children to the fire. And what happened is they were doing their sacrifices to demons in that area before it became a big garbage dump. And God called the valley of slaughter, and he turned it into a garbage dump and made it a picture of hell. Because that's what happens to those who sacrifice their children and those who rebel against God. And it's, it's amazing when you think about it, guys, because there the smoke was going up, the worms continued to just exist there, and it became this incredible picture. And in Mark 9, 48, Jesus uses that picture of hell. He says, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched is where people ultimately go. Now, they don't go to the Valley of Gehenna. Literally, they don't go to that valley. They go to the place that that valley represented. Are you with me? That's outside the camp. Are you getting this now? That's why it's so cool to look at the historical aspects of the history of expressions or, and look at what was going on in the law and look at how they would have understood it And because God's given us the totality of his word so we can have an understanding, amen, of what these things mean. So outside the camp, is it, no, I'm just kind of hanging out. No, it's like a picture of outer darkness, okay? It's a picture of being in Gehenna. It's quite serious. In fact, it's interesting. The very end of Isaiah ends with the lake of fire seem to be some kind of memorial as to what happens to those who reject the Lord in the end. 
we read in Isaiah 66, 24, then they will go forth, that is the, the believers, those who know the Lord, they will be able to go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. Their worm, for their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. Wow. That means for the believers who are resurrected, they will be able to see the walking dead or the, 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 the living dead, those who are dead while they lie, are alive, the resurrected who have been cast in the lake of fire. And it'll be like, it'll be an eternal reminder of what it happened as a result of Satan's rebellion that ended up with humans joining it. We'll have another memorial, which I'll prefer to look at far more than this, that'll be eternal as to the cost of sin. And that'll be our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's wounds in his hands in his feet, in his side, his brow. And we'll be able to always see how much he loved us, amen, and what he did for us, amen. I don't know if I'll make that trip ever right there, but I'm gonna definitely make the trip to Jesus' feet, amen, because we'll be inside the city and the Father and the Son will be there, amen. And we won't need any moon, we won't need any sunlight because they will, be, they will light up the entire city. We won't need a lamp, it says, amen. Hey, baby, can you turn on the lights? Lights are already on. Oh, do you want to turn the light off and go to sleep? No, you don't get tired. You're full of energy. And the food, man, it's going to taste, and it's going to all taste good. Whatever you eat, it's going to be like way better than any junk food you eat here, and you won't gain weight, okay? I don't know how it exactly works, but there's no sorrows. You're going to be like, oh, man, I got to lose some pounds this year, you know? So praise God. So that's what it's like outside the city, man. So if we worship, you're inside the city. If you, if you turn to Jesus and you're cleansed, you're there worshiping him. You either get worship or you get the worm, okay? Take your pick. I choose Jesus. You choose Jesus? Amen. Amen. Now let's go back to chapter 22, verse 15. Outside are the what? So we looked at outside what that means. Are you with me? Everybody understand that? So the, the cool thing about this is I've took you through the book of Revelation. We're in the last chapter. I want you to be able to go to verses and say, yeah, I remember that study. I know what it means to be outside the camp right? I, I know what that means. I know it's an expression that refers to you know, everything we just talked about. But outside are the dogs. Well, guess what ran outside the city gates in Jerusalem? Wild packs of dogs, right? Wolves and packs of dogs, which were very dangerous. And a lot of them were mangy, just like they are today. When you go on mission trips to foreign countries, you'll see packs of dogs. And by the way, when you see packs of dogs, a lot of times those dogs aren't like your typical, you know, Fido, you know? Uh, well, you know, but what about Fido, Joe? Is he going to Lake of Fire? This is not talking about Fido, okay? And we'll talk about Fido's destiny in a minute because there's debate on where Fido goes, you know? But we're not talking about Fido here. We're talking about a metaphor used for wicked people. But guess what? Dogs were held in great derision or contempt in ancient or the ancient Near Eastern communities in the Orient as well. And they were, because dogs are, would threaten your animals, your very livelihood if they devoured your animals. By the way, if, they, if your animal is devoured, you know where you're supposed to throw the food? The meat, you're supposed to throw it to the, the dogs, okay? And that would meet, be meat that you'd normally want to eat, you know? So it's interesting. God didn't say kill off the dogs. He had a purpose for them. 
And dogs aren't always, dogs are typically depicted, I've got to be straight with you, they're typically depicted, I love dogs, so it kind of bums me out a little bit, but I love truth. So it's kind of bums me out, it's just like, it bums me out that humans are in a wicked state, dogs are in a fallen state too, right? And, and dogs are usually held in derision in scripture, it's kind of a negative picture, you know? But they're not always depicted that way, because the Bible indicates that dogs bark and defend their owners in the Old Testament. The Bible talks about, uh, you know, you don't give, remember the Canaanite woman in the New Testament? You know, even the dogs get the scraps, she said, when she's pleading for mercy for Jesus. That's the time it's used in the New Testament. Uh, and, and, and she's using it in a good way, meaning, can I have some mercy? Can I get at least a little something? Meaning, can you cast this demon out of my kid? You know, can you give me some mercy, please? Because even the dogs, because she's being called a dog, right? And uh, she's saying, hey, even the dogs can get treated. Well, that means people had pets, you know? People had, because uh, in some cultures, like a lot of Muslim cultures, you know, dogs are off limits. But the scriptures are a little more nuanced than that. And, and, but they're often a picture of that which is selfish. Uh, dogs are very self-centered. Amen? And, I mean, just a couple days ago, one of our dogs in the house was, and they're in the house quite a bit, but they're in the house more because it's been raining a lot. And one of them just came in and was just started rubbing against the carpet. And Lisa's like, no, no, don't be rubbing all against the carpet. I'm like, come on, just let dogs just, you know, having a good time. And she's like, no, it's going to make the carpet stink. And I'm like, yeah, she's right. <laughs> uh, because dogs, man, they can transmit their stench to you pretty easy if they're not somewhat clean. And, and dogs are known to be dirty and, you know, and so forth. So they're often a picture of filth. They're on the unclean animal list, you know. And uh, they're a picture of, you know, just, and we'll see in some of, the, some of the references. But it's interesting because the Greek word is a kuon for dog that's used there in book Revelation. It's used, you know, a handful of times in the New Testament. And it's interesting because uh, it's used in the Old Testament as a metaphor several times and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's used of prophets or watchmen who aren't blowing their trumpet, who aren't warning people to turn from their sin, of false teachers. Uh, Isaiah 56, 9 says, His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They all are silent dogs. They cannot bark. One reason I like having dogs is because I know they can protect my family. You know, one of them might not protect you. It might show you where silverware is, you know, or something like that. Not that we have, we have regular silverware, so don't get any ideas, you know. But, uh, uh, but we have another dog that you don't want to meet if you're not in a good place. Seems nice, but, and he's in like the top five of top five or six of, of guard dogs. And he's really cool though, good with kids and everything too. But uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 26, 11 looks at it, it looks at the backslider and says a dog that returns to his vomit is, a, uh, is as a fool who repeats his folly. Okay, now it's interesting. Uh, in the crucifixion, Psalm chapter 22, you remember that? Jesus talks about, you know, how he, they pierced his hands and his feet, they divided his garments, and he says, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. So, it's used of evildoers, amen? Uh, it's used of, uh, in, in various ways in the Old Testament. It's used also of male prostitutes as well, which I'll get to in a second. But first, let's look at some of the New Testament usages of that metaphor. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 27, that's where the, that's where the Canaanite woman says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs are, uh, eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. But it's often used, as I mentioned, in a negative way, dogs, 
uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, it talks about not giving that which is holy to those who reject Christ, who reject the gospel. Matthew, 15, 20, or, or Matthew 7, 6 says, Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Both were unclean animals. However, we also see in Luke chapter 16, verse 21, that dogs licked Lazarus, right? Who had sores from head to toe. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, it's used of the circumcision, which Paul calls the mutilators, those who would mutilate your male privates because they taught that you had to be circumcised to be right with God. Uh, and we read in Philippians 3, 2, Paul says, look out for the dogs. It's not talking about watching out for dogs, literally, but false teachers. Look out for evildoers. So it's used of false teachers for evildoers. Uh, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So there's the mutilate the flesh. That would be the circumcision. The evildoers could be those in uh, the scripture which talks about, uh, you know, they profess to know him, but by their works they deny him and what have you. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 20, that's where Jesus warns about entering the, the, the narrow gate, Right? And watching out for the broadway leads to destruction. And right when he gives that warning to go through the narrow gate, he warns about false prophets. He says that outwardly they look like sheep, right? But inwardly they are what? Ravenous wolves. So it's interesting that the metaphor often comes up among false teachers who are ravenous wolves, who aren't into laying their lives down for the sheep, protecting the sheep, you know? and reaching people for Christ. Uh, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, that passage deals with backsliders and compares them to dogs. If you become a backslider, you're a dog. Okay, you're like a dog. Uh, I'm not going to expound on that uh, at this very moment because I'm going to get back to that one as I'm going to get back to the male prostitute one as well because those two, I think, have the most bearing and the most relevance and the most application to our lives as Christians when we look at the list and what it means for us. Uh, so we'll get to that in a moment. But I want to get back to it as an Old Testament metaphor and then come back to the New Testament uh, and, and, and submit to you that it very well could have male prostitutes, those involved in you know, uh, homosexuality and so forth, in, in mind uh, because we see... In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 18, uh, we see, well, before we get there, let me tie in another verse. What these guys are about in this list are doing abominable things. Now, if you go back to chapter 21, just before this, verse 27, look what it says. It's talking about how they'll bring their glory into it in verse 26 into the city. Then verse 20, that's 26. Verse 27 says, and nothing unclean, unclean, and no one who practices what? Abomination and lying shall ever come into it. You notice lying's on that list as well. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now we look at verse 15. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. So the dogs, these, these, all these things are abominable. But it's interesting we look at Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 18, uh, verse 17 and 18. It says, listen to this. It's talking about how the wages that are made by a male prostitute, because none of them were to be female or male prostitutes, it says in the verse 17, 
their wages are not to be brought in the temple because that's wicked. That's the defile of the temple, right? None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute, nor shall any of those sons or the sons of Israel be a cult prostitute. You shall not bring the hire of a harlot or a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord, your God, for any votive offering. For both of these are an abomination to the Lord God. Do you see that there? There's that connection between being a male prostitute, which are called dogs, and bring abominations into God's temple, or they're doing abominations, certainly they would be excluded from the kingdom of God. This is very serious, especially in our country where everything is becoming legalized. Things that were illegal just a few years ago are now legalized, and now they're making a push for not only the legalization of certain drugs, hallucinogens now was marijuana. They got that through not on the federal level, but the state level, and now, uh, you know, ayahuasca and, 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 you know, psilocybin and all kinds of, you know, DMT, all kinds of hallucinogens and so forth. Uh, and already there's drugs that are legal to kill babies, which is to me a very serious thing as well. So on this list are evildoers. So who do dogs refer to? Now some will say it refers to one thing or another. I think he left it open for a reason. You just see who the dogs are, right? And it applies to the dogs in general. And it would refer therefore to evildoers to prostitutes, to false teachers, to wolves in sheep's clothing, to Judaizers, teachers who fail to bark and warn the flock. That means Christian pastors better take notice that they're trying to get a big church by just saying nice things all the time. Whew, that's pretty serious. Uh, it's, and it refers, as I mentioned to you, also to backsliders, apostates. And since that's the one that is probably most relevant for us, amen, because you get backslided into any of those other situations and more, uh, and, and any of those abominations that are on that list, uh, let's look at a passage that deals uh, most extensively with dogs in the New Testament. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. This is very interesting. It says in verse 20, for if, it's a condition, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it's talking about those who've escaped the defilements of the world, the pollutions of the world, the things outside the kingdom. Through, the, through what? Through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then it says, they are again entangled in them. Again, meaning they, weren't, they were set free, but they're again entangled in them and overcome because they've overcome the world and they're not entangled, but then they're again entangled and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the what? Than the first. Wow. The last state has become worse for them than the first. And I've given a message, I think it became a three-part series probably 20 years ago or so, called The Greater Damnation. And I looked at the warnings against apostasy in the New Testament, and I showed that it's not, not only is it untrue that once you're saved and then you can just turn and rebel against God and everything's fine, they, not only is that a lie, but it's actually worse than if you had never been saved in the first place. That the Bible actually teaches greater damnation because there's greater light. And to reject Christ, in fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it says, if we go on sinning willfully 
And the context there is those who trample underfoot the blood of Christ and rebel against him. And the author includes himself in that warning. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, sounds familiar right here. And by the way, knowledge of the truth is a term for salvation throughout the New Testament. 1 Timothy 2.4, God wills that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. If we go on rebelling or sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. In other words, the sacrifice was there because Christ's propitiation is for everyone. Amen. It's not a limited atonement. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful looking for a fiery judgment which will devour the adversaries of God. And then he, he says, well, you know, it's not like we're under the law. Yeah, it's worse to f- uh, commit apostasy under grace. So he says, for if after they, uh, then it goes on to say, if they were stoned under the testimony of two or three witnesses under the law of Moses, he says, of how much worse punishment suppose ye shall it be, right? And he goes on to talk about if they trample underfoot the Son of God, right? Consider the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified, which is in the passive, by the way. Owen, who was really popular reformed, uh, uh, he was a very intelligent guy, but he says, well, some of, them make th- th- some of the exegetes say, well, maybe they were just going to church, but when they were, uh, after being what, sanctified by the blood of the covenant is in the passive, it was something God did, not something you did. Right. We're saved by grace through faith, amen. And they trample underfoot the blood of Christ by which they were sanctified. And by the way, the term sanctified in the book of Hebrews is typically used of salvation, by the way, not just the sanctification process. Uh, you know, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, it says. And it goes on to say, and insulted the spirit of grace and that God, insulted the spirit of grace, that's serious, and God will judge his people. It's not talking about if you fell short in your walk. It's talking about that's a life of rebellion, saying I want, I'm trampling the foot, I want anything to do with Jesus. Woo, that's a dangerous place to be. And he goes on to say, you know, after receiving the knowledge of the truth. That's important here because verse 20 says, if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been what? Better for them to have never known the way of righteousness. And by the way, Jesus is the way, Amen. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And the early church was called in the book of Acts, the way. And he was the way of righteousness. It would be better for them not to know the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back. I'm talking about backsliding here and then full-blown apostasy from the holy commandment delivered to them. Look at what the next verse says. What, uh, what the true proverb says has happened to them. And, it, and he's quoting one of these, the proverb. We just read it. We just mentioned it in the book of Proverbs. The true proverb has happened to them. The dog returns to its what? Own vomit. Isn't that gross? And the sow or the pig, after washing herself, you ever see pigs and they look, you know, they make movies about pigs. They're all clean with bows and stuff. They seem so cute. Okay. Well, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. In other words, after being cleansed, the pig goes back and becomes all dirty again. After the dog vomits, that's good. It's got the poison out of itself. Good. It's got some, po- you know, it might even eat some grass to get that poison out of it. But then, man, dogs just have this way of going back and just <laughs> lapping up the vomit, you know. Pretty gross, I know. Now, this is crazy, guys, because the language here is so strong that I, I, have, I have no doubt in my mind, based on the grammar that 
Peter uses and based on the context that he's warning believers. Okay, he's not warning non-believers not to go back to the world. The non-believers are in the world, right? He's not warning non-believers, well, you've been, now they're no longer entangled. You're, you're, you're right with God. Just don't go back to the world again and become entangled and overcome. You don't say that to a non-believer, do you? No. And it's interesting because listen how the NIV, and I think this is very interesting, how the NIV translates knowledge there in verse 1. If you have an NIV, you can see it or you can look it up on your phone. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by what? Knowing, by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. So it translates it at the word, the Greek word there, after knowing Jesus. That's a relationship. Now, we all agree there are some people that come to church, they don't know the Lord, amen? They just go to church. And there'll be these false prophets that Jesus will say, I never knew you to, amen? But then five of the virgins out of the 10, he doesn't say, I never knew you to them. He says, I don't know you. But here he says, this refers to who? Those who've come to know Jesus, amen? So you don't want to have a one scripture fits all. You have to recognize the scripture is nuanced and it's more complex than that and say, okay, what does the scripture deal with, you know? Just like you don't go to 1 John and say, well, if somebody falls away, they were never saved in the first place because in 1 John it says they went out from us, from us, but they were never really of us because if they were of us, they would have remained with us. Well, yeah, that says that. And I ask the person that says that. And I hear people say that all the time on the radio, preachers. Oh, yeah, well, you know, look what it says in 1 John. If you fall away, you were never really saved. Really? What about the prodigal son? Was he never saved? My son was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. Remember when Paul talks about the branches that were broken off of the salvation tree, if they're grafted back in again, amen, they can share the life of Christ again. There's many, many examples of that. Peter fell away. Jesus said all his disciples would fall away, and they all did. Amen. He denied the Lord three times. Jesus said, if you deny me, I'm going to deny you. But Peter came back, amen. So don't fall for the, oh, if you fall away, you were never really saved. It's all over the scripture people fall away. What does it mean in 1 John? 1 John, if you look at that, it's speaking specifically of Antichrist. It says of these antichrists that they never do. I've had Mormons come and visit more than once. They come and they listen, you know. Then they go away. I could say, hey, if they were truly Christians, man, they'd still be here, man. But that doesn't mean I don't believe you can fall away. That means I'm speaking of a specific thing. And that's in 1 John, by the way, 2, 18, 19, 20. But if you go on to verse John 24, just keep reading 1 John. He says to the true believers not to follow them, those who are saved. In verse 24, he says, let that remain. The Greek word is meno there. That's the Greek word that we translate abide. Uh, in John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. A meno, meno, abide, remain, stay in me. And a branch that abides in me will bear much fruit. But a branch doesn't abide in me, right? Doesn't remain in me. It's a real branch, right? Not a phony branch. It's a branch in Christ. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. If a branch doesn't remain in me, he withers because the life is going away. And he's cut off, thrown in the fire, and burned. And they gather them together and throw them in the fire, and they're burned. Well, who gathers them together? Matthew 13, Jesus talks about how the angels will gather the tares, too. Throw them in the fire, and they'll be burned. Tares and former branches. So it's important that you understand. First John, after he deals with Antichrist, who went out from them, he goes on to say, let that remain in you, the believers. Because he calls them little children. They're children of the faith, which you've received from the beginning. That's the gospel. Abide in the word. If, if, condition, 
that which you've received from the beginning remains in you, you will receive the promise, eternal life. And there he's talking about final salvation. And then in verse 26, he says, that's verse 24 and 25, verse 26, he says, I write these things concerning those who are trying to seduce you. So yeah, the false Antichrist guys left. They were never of it. But guess what? He warns the genuine believer, you better stick to Jesus. Amen? It's important. Now, it's very, very important also that we understand why the NIV translates this. And by the way, the NIV, I use NASB. I love the NASB 1995 version. There's a lot of good versions out there. Uh, but I, I, I'm telling you right now, the NIV is a really good translation of the entire book of, of 2 Peter. Because I, like, I use different translations. You hear me quote different translations all the time. And that's, by the way, for my King James only brothers and sisters, I love you. But the King James translators, way back in 1611, in their introduction, where they were concerned that people wouldn't accept their translation. And they said, hey, guess what? We believe the best thing to do is, is, is the, the, the original language itself and to compare translations. Amen? And that's what we do. It's great. When you're coming up across a word that's hard to understand or context, you see different translators, how they handle it, what's the reasoning behind it, and so forth. Uh, what's the context? Context is sovereign. Amen? But the NIV translates this. Uh, <laughs> after knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why do they translate it knowing Jesus? Because the Greek word is not your simple, it's not, it's, it's not oida, it's not, it's not, you know, it's, there's a lot of different Greek words for knowledge, but it's not gnosis, it's epigenosis. Epigenosis, like epicenter, epidural. There's an intensification of gnosis and it's, it has to do with personal knowledge. It has to do with knowing on a personal level, full knowledge which I thought this was very interesting, okay? Because he's talking about those who have personal knowledge, hence knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can put it that way, but guess what? Knowing is really good because it's talking about intimate knowledge, knowing Jesus. So yes, you can know the Lord. And the Bible warns, brethren, see to it that none of you have a hardened heart by the deceitfulness of sin and fallen away from the living God. You can become lukewarm. The Bible warns, does it not, the church at Ephesus, that you can lose your first love. Does it say that or am I making that up? No, you can lose your first love every day, man. We take up our crosses, deny ourselves, we follow him, we seek to get closer to Jesus, amen, and fan those flames. I'm always praying, Lord, help me love you more, Lord. I always feel like, you know, how many, I never want to arrive until I'm with the Lord and then I'm perfected, but I'm always reminded that I need to strive every day to know my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saved through the striving, I'm saved through what he did on the cross, amen, but Jesus said, strive to enter the narrow gate, Amen. That's in, in the Gospel of Luke, where he says, strive, agonizomai, I mean, agonize, you know. And many, we got the flesh, we got the world, the flesh, and the devil fighting against us. And the Bible warns us that we have to keep the faith and fight the good fight, lay hold on eternal life, it says. Amen? Now, it's interesting. I thought this was fascinating, because if the word epigenosis means saving knowledge, it's very clear he's talking about falling away from saving knowledge. Or do you understand that? Which would make f sense with the context. But I thought this was interesting. Uh, John MacArthur, uh, reformed uh, Calvinistic author who doesn't believe you can truly know the Lord and be fall, fall away, you know, he admits that this word epigenosis, even in 2 Peter, refers to salvation. Listen to what he says. The knowledge of Christ, and he's talking about 2 Peter chapter 1 at this point, uh, the second verse the knowledge of Christ emphasized here, listen to this, this is John MacArthur, and I think his comment's excellent, by the way. 
The knowledge of Christ emphasized here is not a superficial knowledge or a mere surface awareness of the facts about Christ, but a genuine, personal sharing of, the, of life with Christ based on repentance from sin and personal faith in him. Good to put it better myself? In 2 Peter, he says, knowledge, epigenosis, deep, profound knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So when a person comes to the knowledge, epigenosis, not a superficial knowledge, not just something on the outside, but deep knowledge of God through Jesus Christ, he then receives the righteousness of God and Christ. Thus, he has entered into a like precious faith as one who identified with Jesus Christ. Wow, that's powerful, amen? But the thing is, he's saying that in his commentary on 2 Peter chapter 1 when it mentions epigenosis. When he gets to chapter 2 and it threatens his view of perseverance of the saints, he doesn't mention it. Just kind of doesn't mention epigenosis at all there because it's a problem. But if it means it in chapter 1, and by the way, chapter 1 and chapter 2 tie together like a hand and a glove. Because when you look at the context, when you look at the context, by the way, in 2 Timothy, when it says, God wills all be saved to come to knowledge of the truth, John MacArthur says of epigenosis, to come to the knowledge of the truth is to be saved. Epigenosis, knowledge. He says it's used three other times in the pastoral epistles, and all four occurrences, it refers to true knowledge that brings about salvation. Okay? I believe that's why the Holy Spirit uses that word. Now, it's important right here to understand, and I believe sincere men uh, can disagree on these passages, but I believe these passages are very serious and the conclusions that we come to can radically affect our lives because you can get away from that knowledge and then some people could tell you, well, you must have never been saved. Jesus maybe never died for you probably and, and you weren't one of the elect. That's a horrifying teaching. We would say to somebody, hey, you know what? You need to come back. Jesus did die for you. He loves you. He doesn't will that you perish. Amen? And he wants you to know him. Amen? Now, this is what's interesting. Let's go now to 2 Peter chapter 1. It says in verse 1, To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as, a, as precious as ours. He's talking about those who are saved, amen? They receive the same faith. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge what do you think the Greek word for knowledge there is? Epigenosis. That's right. That's how we get saved, is by receiving Christ and coming to knowledge of who he is and putting our trust in him. Now, gnosis is just knowledge, general knowledge typically. Epigenosis is that experiential, personal knowledge. Be yours in abundance through the knowledge, epigenosis, of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, we have, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Wow. Not his incommunicable attributes as God. We can never be omniscient and, and all-powerful and uncreated as he is, possessing immortality of himself, but we communicate, we, we partake of his his communicable attributes, like love and peace and joy and long-suffering, all those wonderful things, amen. 
That's what it means to partake of his divine nature by the Holy Spirit. It's God's the Holy Spirit. He's the divine one in us. And when we walk in these things, we're walking in his power. He's the divine one. We're humans made in his image. Verse 4, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Having ex- now look at this. Having what? Escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You catch that? How does he describe salvation? Those who epigenosis escape the w- wicked entanglements of the world. Amen? Are you with me? So when you get to 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22, it's, it's wrong to divorce that from this whole reality because he describes salvation at the very beginning as through epigenosis in verses 1 through 4, through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the epigenosis, experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ, you've escaped the defilements of this world. Amen? But then he goes on to say, if after you've escaped or you've known epigenosis Jesus, right, and you go back to the entanglements of the world, right, and are overcome, the end is worse than the beginning. Are you with me? It's very clearly warning about forfeiture of salvation. I personally don't believe that somebody walks down the street and loses their salvation like they lose keys or something, right? So that language is sometimes even unfortunate, but you can forfeit your salvation through apostasy, through turning away from Christ, okay? If you're trusting Jesus, no matter where you're at in your growth period, but you're trusting him, you, you, your, your faith is in him, and you're, you're, you're seeking him through faith, you're saved. You, you have a trip up here and there, but you're like, Lord, like the batter, he's not going to bat a thousand, but he tries to, amen? And you say, Lord, forgive me. And then you get up and you learn from that. You try not to make those mistakes again. Apostasy is when you harden your heart through sin and turn away from Christ. No longer seek to be cleansed and, 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 and walk with him. Or you go into some false teaching that denies the fundamentals of the faith to, one, to any kind of salvific degree. But notice what he goes on to say. Notice how he warns them right in the, in the very first chapter, he warns them in 2 Peter, because right now he's warning them about becoming dogs again, right? Like becoming a dog, going back to your vomit. Or like a pig that was what? Washed, and then goes back to her wallowing in the mire. Now go to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we'll pick it up at verse 5. Look what he says here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. We stopped at verse 4. And the very end of verse 4 is, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. In the NASB, verse 5. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, because we're saved by grace through faith. Now he's talking about growing in your faith. In your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And your knowledge, self-control. And your self-control, perseverance. And your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. And by the way, we had a a little mini-series on this a couple years ago on spiritual growth. A lot of people were bummed when it was over, you know. And we're like, man, that was such a good series. If you haven't heard that, it's about your spiritual growth in Christ. Uh, But verse, so he's saying, grow in your faith now. After you've escaped the corruption of the world, right? through the epigenosis, amen? But look at verse eight. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, it's like a bike. To get somewhere on a bike, you need to keep going, amen? Keep going forward, right? Otherwise you fall off. If these, thing, these fruits are increasing, they render you neither what? Useless nor what? Unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See the connections there? 
Brothers and sisters, you want to make sure you are pursuing Jesus, man. You want to make sure you are adding your faith this year, not just sitting on what a past experience, amen? You want to make sure that you are pursuing Jesus, that you are pursuing holiness. For the Bible says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, amen? And well, what if I die today? You're right with God through faith, amen? But you need to continue to grow in the faith and not go backwards, amen? For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted. By the way, he says to be fruitful. What did Jesus say would happen to the fruitless? What happened to the fruitless fig tree? <laughs> Curse. But what did Jesus say would happen to the branch that doesn't bear fruit? It was cut off. He would render you, verse 8, neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted. And that's a heavy thing going on in 2 Peter because he's talking about those who are mocking Christ's second coming. Where is the promise is coming? And they're short-sighted. They're, they're filled with the flesh. They don't have the eyes of the kingdom. They become short-sighted. You start focusing on yourself. Having forgotten. Now look at what it says at the end of verse 9. Key verse. You might want to underline this. Having forgotten what? His purification or washing from his what? Former sins. Did you see that? Some will say, well, if you're a pig and you were washed and you go back, you were never really saved or regenerated. Because after you're cleansed, you wouldn't go back if you were really cleansed. Really? Is that what it says here? They forget their washing from their former sins. Can you imagine getting to the place where you forget you were ever even saved in the past? That's really, really lost. Most people that backslide realize they came to Jesus and they were forgiven and they hurt in their hearts and hopefully they come back. But this is talking about a person who becomes a mocker, we find out in 2 Peter 3, who forgets they were even saved, right? Is short-sighted now, unfruitful. Would you say to a non-believer who once claimed to be a Christian but they were never saved, you knew they were never saved, they always hated Jesus, and you say, well, you forgot that you were cleansed from your sins. Would you say that to a non-believer? Would you? That's language that only fits who? A Christian. That fell away. It can't apply to, there's no in-between non-Christians who were never saved, Christians who are saved, and then Christians that get halfway saved and get cleansed, but they're not really Christians. No. Show me in the Bible where non-Christians are ever spoken of being washed, having their sins washed away. By the way, this fits really well now with what? The pig being washed, going back to what? The mud, going back to the world. Are you with me? I'm sorry, this is so clear to me. Is it clear to you? It's so clear. Let's not deny what the scriptures say and uphold any kind of tradition above the word of God. Amen? If our tradition does not fit our theology, let's change our tradition, not our theology. Woe be it to us if we change our theology to fit some kind of theological construct. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Or as the King James says, which I like here, make your calling and election sure. Uh, I think the NIV has make your call and election steadfast. Those are good translations. So we've been called, many are called, but few are chosen, amen. But the scriptures talk about when Jesus comes back in Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. Guess who he's coming back with? Those who are called, it says. The chosen and the faithful. How do you make sure you... Remember years ago, some of you are too young to remember it, man, but it, was, it didn't seem that long to me because I'm getting older, man, but remember the, uh, when Bush was running against Al Gore and in Florida, they did, there were a bunch of hanging chads. Their election wasn't clear, amen? Make sure you punch it all the way through. 
How do I punch it all the way through? Just make sure you stick to Jesus, amen? Make your call election sure, amen? And then what will happen? And in this way, meaning by growing in your faith and adding these different virtues to your faith, meaning you're growing in your faith, you're growing in Christ, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be what? Abundantly supplied to you. Then go to chapter three, the very last two verses. I love the last two verses of 2 Peter chapter three, verse 17 and 18. I'm gonna read them from the NIV. It's an excellent translation here again. Therefore, dear friends, verse 17, Last two verses of 2 Peter. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away. That's us. So they're not carried away by the error of lawless, of lawless and fall and fall from your own, your secure position. We have a secure position. We have assurance of salvation. Amen. We don't have to wonder if Jesus died for us. We don't have to wonder if he really wants to save us. We don't have to wonder of his disposition toward us. He is a good God. Amen. You simply need to do the very first thing you did when you came to Christ. What do you do? You put your trust in Christ. Amen. You repented and you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you were saved. The Bible simply says, Jesus said, he that endures the end will be what? Saved. But look at verse 18. Verse 18. Back to this NASB. But what? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and end of the day of eternity. Amen. I challenge you this new year, grow in Christ. Amen. Maybe memorize this verse five and seven if you haven't done that already. Some of you did that when I was teaching through that about what to add to your faith. That's how you grow. Amen. Now there's some talk about, well, there's verses 20 through 22 and scholars debated. I have several commentators in 2 Peter and they debate whether 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 20 through 22 deals with the false teachers that they're supposed to watch out for or with the believers that they're targeting. And you know what I can't, conclusion I came to? Because I can see how that could be considered going both ways. By the way, if it refers to the false prophets, it's referring to false prophets that forsook the right way. Because a few verses earlier, it's talking about Balaam, okay? And it talks about him forsaking the right way. He was a true prophet of God and going astray. But guess what? I know it applies to all believers. Why? Because in verse 17, it says that you make sure you don't follow them to destruction and fall from your secure position. Amen? Because then you will have forsaken the right way. You will have, after having been uh, extricated, after having been entangled in the world system and then extricated and going back, will be messed up all over again. Now, have, raise your hand. I know it would be humiliating to admit this, okay? But raise your hand if you've ever vomited really bad and then gone back and licked it all up. Just, just be honest. Come on, raise your hand. Anybody here? Toby, are you serious? Okay, he's shaking his head hard no. Young guy, of course, you know. That's disgusting. Guess what? When you do that and you go back to the alcohol, the drunkards, you go back to the drugs, you go back to the sexual sin, you go back to theft, you go back to murder, anything that you may have been a part of, you, weren't a, you go back to the world's pollutions, guess what? That's disgusting in God's sight. Amen? And we need to have the same disgust and hate sin the same way God does. How does that happen? The more you fall in love with Jesus... The more epigenosis, the more knowledge you have in him, the more you study him and come to the fullness of knowledge of who he is, and that only happens through reading his word, his love letter, and the illumination that comes by the Holy Spirit, amen? Get to know Jesus better. And the more you get to know Jesus, the more you'll hate sin, and the more you'll love Jesus, amen? amen. 
So I encourage you this new year, man. Seek Jesus. Be on fire for Jesus, amen? And don't go back to the vomit and recognize those old things that say, hey, come back, come back. That Satan is a father of lies, amen? And that it's vomit in God's sight. It's mud. It excludes you from the kingdom because outside the holy city, in the lake of fire, are the dogs. And the dogs include the backsliders. And I could spend my whole service on male prostitutes or false prophets, but that wouldn't pertain, and we mentioned those things, but what pertains most to us is the dogs that went back after having vomited the poison, gotten, Jesus got rid of our poison, going back to it, amen? Don't go back to the poison, amen? Praise God that you've been clean and you smell like a sweet aroma to the Lord in your sacrificial life to his glory, amen? And that you're beautiful in his sight and we await that eternal kingdom so we be with him forever. Just hold on until Jesus returns, amen, or until the Lord takes you into glory. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Can we all please stand?